Zor Ackerlin, and welcome to Video Game Bullshit. Jeffrey Wittenhagen. I'm an author of multiple gaming books, including collector's guides for both the Nintendo and Super Nintendo. I'm a huge fan of action RPGs like The Legend of Zelda and obscure systems like the Neo Geo and TurboGrafx-16. And we've got guys. Hey, I'm big into uh, no death runs, high score runs, uh, collector of all things vintage and retro, uh, pretty much anything video game related. Also collect figures, vinyl, VHS, tap handles, old beer signs, and old beer steins. Please call our number, leave a voicemail or a text message at 262-264-VGBS. So, the title of this episode is called, essentially, The Impending Decline of the NES... The, like a little question mark or exclamation point. Um, so basically, is there going to be a huge falling off of the NES? And the reason why is like a few like weeks ago, maybe even a month ago, I sent you a, an email about I was listening to um, a, an interview um, with somebody. And should we should we name him? No, it's all good. We'll just talk about it. Let's let's not name him. But basically what he said was, NES nostalgia has just about hit its end. So, like, basically, according to this person, um, nostalgia has a shelf life. And all of a sudden, everyone is just going to stop caring about the NES, uh, according to him. So that's very interesting. So, so what are your thoughts on that? Do you think NES has a shelf life and then all of a sudden... We're going to be like, all right, we're too old for this shit. Let's just throw all our shit out or get rid of it or stop get, stop caring about it. It almost makes me wonder what he meant by that statement, too. I mean, he further quantified it, saying that everybody's going to move on from the NES to for later systems. Okay, like so as the timeline progresses, they'll go down that timeline in a mathematical fashion, you know, kind of like how... After each system dies, there's a certain point in time, and then it becomes hot again, and there's a flux, like there's an ebb and flow to the whole cycle. But I think the way nostalgia works is different. Uh, the best example I can think of is in The Legend of Zelda, the Chapter 1 episode, the first one, where I said, uh, actually, the Duck Hunt Super Mario Brothers combo pack, uh, the action set, is more uh, nostalgic to me than the power set, which I actually received for Christmas with the you know the power pad and the track and field triple cart. That's interesting because that's the one that all my friends had. So that basically throws a wrench into the what nostalgia people think it actually is. Because to me, it's something that I didn't even own. It's the fact that everywhere that I went when I was a kid, everyone had the Duck Hunt, Super Mario Brothers combo set, and that's what I grew accustomed to before I got the actual system myself. Yeah. And after. So that's the one that you'd always see in the stores, too. Duck Hunt, Super Mario Brothers. Um, You know, you go to a Goodwill, you'd see it, you know, for a dollar or whatever. It's classic. You know, flea markets. Absolutely. Yeah, so... um, I mean, Penguin said he was, like, going to build a table with all the ones that he'd acquired... (laughs) <laughs> table. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, you know, 40 or 50 of them. So that's the whole thing. Like, what is nostalgia? I think that's what this episode will... will we're going to strive to uh, nail down what exactly nostalgia is. Uh, and if there is, you know, a shelf life, quote-unquote, we like to dig deep. So let's do this shit. Um, I had an Im- interesting conversation the other day um, after work. And it's a guy locally who owns a thrift store. And right now, like, 
he says like over like most of his business goes to retro gaming, including NES games. But he has a whole reason why he is never going to solely invest in video games or toys. And he said that all nostalgia has ebbs and flows. And after 30 years, it kind it, it peters off. And it's done this over time. It's a mathematical, historical thing. It's happened with the Atari. Because he says he remembers when the Atari was hot. And those games were selling for a crap ton of money. Which I personally don't remember that. When Atari was really expensive. And it would have been, you know, a good 10 years ago. So he says that it'll it'll still follow that. Um, and the thing is, is that, you know, as games progress, like Super Nintendo's already picked up. So that'll follow suit. But it's like every three to four years, a new system came out. So it's going to, you know, kind of bleed over, but go through. Um, I, of course, you know, went and brought up a bunch of points while he was talking because because I don't think it has a shelf life. Because everything that he was comparing it to is not the same as what the NES is. Even Atari is not the same as what the NES is. And this will be like NES nostalgia for the episode, too. Because what what is, to you, Kyle, what's the main difference between, besides for graphics, what's the main difference between the Atari 2600 and the NES? Easily, for me, the fact that I actually had the NES as my first system. I mean, period. So so that feeds right into his justification that when we get older, which is after about a 30-year mark, um, as we get older, we're going to lose interest and our reflexes are going to get slower and we're going to want to get rid of them because we no longer have the time nor interest to dedicate to the NES, so we're going to move on. <laughs> that was his justification. There's such a, f- um, a negative aspect to his outlook, like, okay, if anything, games can keep you more, you know, your sen- your sen- honed. Yeah, more honed. It, games can keep your senses, you know, in a better state. So, if anything, it's like an exercise. So, so basically... Um, and, and you're going to where I'm going to as well, which is perfect. And that's basically that, you know, it's training you. It's keeping you focused. Yes. This is different. And, and games, arcade games, Atari. It's not a difference between Atari and NES in this aspect. But it 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 is a different type of media. It's interactive media. It's not the same as just playing with toys. Because playing with toys, you're also using your imagination and that is more thought of as a kid's thing. Gaming is not thought of as a kid's thing at all. And retro gaming is not thought of as a kid's thing anymore. That stigma is gone. It is definitely a completely adopted thing now, video games. So it, it will keep our, – our skills will stay home. So it's that's a completely wrong assessment for sure from him. And really, we have to think about how fragile it all is. So, you know, in QCing the the Zelda episodes we did, it, I realized, what if I didn't pick Zelda at KB? What if I had picked Strider? My whole life would have fucking changed. I think Nintendo's marketing had a lot to do with that, too. I mean, they purposely put it in that glowing gold cartridge to catch your eye. You know what I mean? Well, let's just say they didn't have a Zelda. Yeah. If Zelda didn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. So now, let's just say, for some reason, whatever, I get Strider. Now my whole, the whole, like, landscape of my life is completely changed by one small detail. Yeah. And that's the insanity of, like, um, nostalgia. That's the butterfly effect, man. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that has to be put into the equation of what nostalgia is. It's really fragile thing. Like one little thing can change everything. But what's crazy is the unifying aspect is that all of us have this similar nostalgia. Everybody who's collecting and playing the NES still, which is everybody now, um, we all have that similar aspect, even though we all came at it from different perspectives. So, I mean, who's to say, right? 
Well, it's almost like nostalgia is what, subjective. It's like whatever you were, like, what if your dad played Silent Service every day and that was the only game you guys had and you just learned to be fucking awesome at it? <laughs> the Silent Service master. Let's just say, you know, like, now all of a sudden, like, that's your fucking game. Like, so that's your nostalgia. So, forever, that'll always be your shit, you know? I, I don't see how that'll ever change. Like, Zelda's never gonna change for me. I'll, I'll always... I'm always willing to put in some Zelda and even just show somebody. Like, like at the convention, if we have Zelda playing, I'll I'll show people in the room, you know, here's how you do it, you know, this is how you do the... The overpowered run, this is how you fucking rock it out, man. Like, like, what do you guys want? I'll give you the information you need, kind of thing. Like, Exactly. It's, a, it's even after you're playing the game, you can harvest it in so many other ways. So so you're, you're actually going toward my first point of even the difference between Nintendo and Atari, or Nintendo and every other type of collecting or nostalgia including film, including music, including everything. It's their first-party games. They've transcended media and become pop culture themselves. Mario and Zelda are pop culture. That transcends things. They, it doesn't matter that it's on the NES. It's that it's Mario and Zelda at a point on top of it. And when they release Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, guess what that does to me? It makes me remember my good memories with the original Legend of Zelda with the Link to the Past, and I want to play those too. Yeah, there's a consciousness aspect. And it's a constant rekindling at all times. And it's like in your consciousness and ingrained. And there's a part about that that just like speaks to everybody. Like everyone knows the Mar- Super Mario Brothers tune, you know? Do, do, do. Everyone knows that shit. Everyone and their fucking mother. It's just one of those things. It's, you know, Hulk Hogan, Coca Cola. Yes. Michael Jordan. Precisely. Mario. Like, it's it's pop culture, man. Like, that's... Bingo. That's that's what I'm saying. That, and Atari didn't have that. Atari had arcade ports that were pop culture, like Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, were on Atari, but those are arcades. And and that is pop culture, too. Um, And here's the thing. Are, are those arcade games over 30 years old? Yep. Are they still extremely popular? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not making a thrift store a shit ton of money because arcades are huge and cumbersome and there's still a whole collector aspect to it. But arcade collecting has gotten expensive too. Yeah, and it's not to diminish Atari in any way. It's just that Atari really made its name on porting arcades. Mm-hmm. Well, and then there is my final point that I really think hammers home why NES sticks out and will stick around longer than the Atari's uh, heyday run. Um, Because there's still people that are hardcore Atari fans, believe me. I'm one of them. Mm Mm-hmm, exactly. But what transcends it, though, is that, and we've said it before, the NES has all the pieces that make up a good story. It was the first time that you had a soundtrack in a game is the first time when your graphics actually could be created by an artist and and resemble better what you're trying to create. Mario looked like a person instead of a bunch of blocks. Um because you actually could see some eyeballs, you could see so so it allowed an artistic aspect and it was minimalistic enough that you had to use creativity as well to connect the dots, but not too much creativity like you had to with the older second-generation Atari stuff. Now, a good argument is the ColecoVision, however, had a little better graphical power, and that's been holding up really well. Oh, ColecoVision's fantastic. Yeah, and it's really colorful, but it has a, it's a little step up. But it, but the Coleco doesn't have those soundtracks that, again, are minimalistic enough, but allow a band to cover the music and make it their own. So it was like, you know, the from the graphical perspective, it's why a lot of artists have been clamoring to draw art and fan art, and that's why all my covers are, you know, going to be drawn because it allows the artist to take their own interpretation of the graphics and make it into a realistic picture or a cartoony picture. And 
everybody's view of it will be different. So everything has a unique, cool aspect to it. And it's creating more nostalgia on top of nostalgia. That's why it's never going to go away. In my opinion. Coleco is a, more of a microcosm. It's not easy to find, and the controller's weird, and the games are hard to find, and it's just like the NES is kind of like everywhere in the public consciousness. And when you know, when I was a kid in the heyday, going to Toys R Us, you went down that aisle, and it was just all NES, fucking glory hole extravaganza, man. The other thing we got to think about, though, from the devil's advocate perspective, from the antiquity, you know, thrift store owner perspective, what about the people that aren't like us, that aren't hardcore collectors? What about the people that are buying the NES Classic right now, um, and they're just and they're just rekindling their nostalgia? They're the same age as us, but they're not a collector. Um, but they've been buying these games because, you know, they're getting nostalgic for it. They're buying it. But what about Joe Schmo that sits over there, you know, at his house with his kids and wife and has the family, has other priorities, likes to do other things, watches sports, works on cars, does yard work, does everything else like normal person out there. Um, not a hardcore collector. This isn't their main hobby, but they enjoy it. That's a lot of people. And my, my Confucius uh, response to that is, I actually mentioned it in the first episode uh, as well, kind of, uh, where I said, like, to some extent, everything has its own little life. Mm-hmm. And it, nostalgia has a level to it. So the life duration of our nostalgia just happens to be basically endless. Whereas someone else, their nostalgia is a smaller packet, you know? So once it's depleted and done, like, then they're on to the next thing. Yeah, the the classic consume and move on millennial aspect. Yeah, and even even before that with, with Nick, you know, like, the generation before that we saw, it's just basically getting bored with something. And then going on to the next thing, I mean, he video games, he wasn't good at video games, like... That's I think that's the other thing we have to take into consideration mm-hmm. that we actually succeeded not at all video games but at a lot of them and now we've honed our ability since we're older and it's kind of like we have a more mature mind and you know, like you had mentioned in the previous episode you know you kind of look at a game differently it was decap attack you're like now that I play it when I'm older I look at it so different like oh way differently yeah yeah and so when you're a kid it's just you know, if you're not good at something, then you're just not going to care about it. And I think me and you just excelled at it for some reason, and that's why we keep doing it. I think, um, like Billy Mitchell said, it's like genetic. The video game, there's like a video game gene where you just, there's a genetic DNA aspect to it. And I think those types of people, scientifically if you want to look at it let's look at it you know let's go real deep let's look at it from like a scientific aspect like scientifically those types of people are just more prone to video games and yeah the other people if they don't succeed they might just give up and kind of walk away you know and not come back the next morning with that fire and me and me and you are stubborn motherfuckers and i think that's another thing (laughs) we're not gonna take no like okay you beat me yesterday, but today is a new fucking day, and I'm going to beat your ass today, and that's how we come on everything. Literally, we come on it all. We come on everything. <laughs> that's what we I was wondering if you going to come back to that one. <laughs> I watched you walk right into that waterfall of cum. That was awesome. <laughs> so, there's an interesting aspect, because now thinking about all that, does that mean that we're the vocal minority? Because we're passionate about it. We're putting out the podcast. Are we the vocal minority? Are we the people that in my in my book writing asked me to do the digital version of the Super Nintendo book and then 10 people backed it out of hundreds and hundreds of backers? Like, there are 10 people backed it. We are, absolutely. From a creation perspective, it, I had to make two different books to do that that's twice the work 
And then it was for a microcosm of people. Now, are we the vocal minority or is that a little bit bigger than we're thinking? Or are we thinking that it's bigger because we're emerged in it? And is there really a bubble that's going to burst then with collecting? Because the, the only way, and we've said it before, the only way the bubble is going to burst is if a lot of people do a mass exodus and get rid of their games around the same time. Because then the prices will have to go down because it's going to flood the market. Right. Supply and demand flips. So so would that happen when Joe Normal decides to, all right, I've had enough of this nostalgia again. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to just move on with my life again. Is that going to happen? In... Kind of what we've analyzed, I would say, you know, if everything has its own little life, mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of like how you get into wrestling for a little bit, and then you get into games for a while, then you get into movie horror for a while, and, you know, it, you eventually it, it hits a point where you're like, all right, I'm good, now I'm going to, like, check out something else. It's like binge-watching, binge basically, is the best yeah. way that, like, everyone can understand. You know, it's binge watching on something, and then at some point it ends. Maybe the show ends, or your interest ends, one or the other. And mm-hmm. at that point, you know, it's like Dexter. You know, binge watching Dexter. I only like seasons one through four. So once that ended, I was kind of that was my I was done. Me too. Yeah, I'm in the exact. Actually, I only really like one and four. <laughs> like like two and three are are good. But like after four, it, it kind of petered off. But yeah. I'm I'm 100 with you, and and that's the thing is it's just like that. People watching Breaking Bad, sure. it ended. Well, guess what? They're not going to watch it again. Maybe five years from now, they'll rewatch it all again. Yeah, and that's where the nostalgia. Like someone might watch um, the whole season once, and someone might have nostalgia and watch each episode forty times. Yeah, just like I'm, you know, filling up those Zelda cards, like. That's a that's a microcosm, you know. It's it's like the person who mails into the wrestlers, like with the question, you know, like or Nintendo Power. It's a very small. You have the people that like video games, and you have the people that subscribe to Nintendo Power. Then you have the people that actually write in Nintendo Power. I mean, it just keeps getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> so everything has its own little life. Each person has a different passion. So you can't yeah. pigeonhole a passion. <laughs> and I, I really do think that from our perspective, this is probably the longest we've stuck straight with one of our hobbies. We usually have bounced around to like we'd be on a horror movie binge where every time we would hang out, it would be just horror movies. And then it would be just vinyl listening, going back to the vinyl episode from Phobos that was you know published around when we record this episode. You know, it was just like that where we were heavily, when we had that time in Indiana, you would come over. We would just listen to vinyl. We weren't playing that many games because the games were not convenient. They were in the basement, whereas the vinyl player was up with the liquor while we were drinking and having a good time. Like, like it, it that, I think the situation always would lead itself to it. But now that we have the, the podcast episodes, we're kind of sticking with games longer than we have, which is interesting to me. Yeah, what you said with situations key, like, so, if it was convenient, now you have a whole different reality. Well, yeah, exactly. So, how everything changes with, like, one aspect. Well, it's like when I moved from one house to another house, and you were coming over. Well, that's a huge one. Yeah. And then all of a sudden had all the games there, too, on top of the vinyl, so we'd have vinyl playing while we're playing some NES. And then we had arcade games going, and I had the coin ops thing, which was a huge episode. I had coin ops going, like so we had arcade games and NES and like and vinyl and drinking. It was like massive overload of awesomeness, and that you've kind of even moved over to your condo area where you have like twenty seven things going on at once, which is amazing. <laughs> I mean, that's the beauty of the universe, you know, the butterfly effect. Absolutely, yeah. It's craziness i mean there was there was a time when every time we hung out we were just playing guitar <laughs> like for a year yeah and the fact that we moved away changed things in a whole nother way so it's situations change yeah yeah and that that with everyone has their own little reality and no one can ever understand anyone else's reality completely 100 percent. not even the 
the woman you love, she will never understand you 100%, and vice versa. It's impossible. And that being said is a key in that we all just have to, like, love each other in the way that, like, we're never going to understand everyone completely. You never will. It's impossible. Like, you have had your own reality. You lived your own life. No one will ever live that exact same life. So no one can ever truly understand what you've gone through and vice versa. Kyle Fuchsius. Yes, we all we all just have to like <laughs> do what we're gonna do and keep it real. I mean, what else can you do, you know? <laughs> well, I mean it's it's also like in our perspective, it's why the Phobos Militia Hobby cast exists because there's just times when we, we, we need to we need to talk about some vinyl collecting or we need to talk about pro wrestling or we need to talk about other stuff. Like I, I have a feeling we have another pro wrestling episode in our, our near future. <laughs> yeah, we have lots in the in the ammo box for sure. Oh yeah, like that, that's the the classicness, and it's just like because those are that's one of our many many hobbies that we enjoy. Passion, for and, sure. Yeah, yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. So so going back to the the actual topic though, that means that looking at it from a wider perspective. There could be an impending decline of the NES. However, however, it's not going to apply to everyone. It's not going to apply to us because we're in a different league because we're the collectors. People listening to this podcast are likely closer to us than they are to Joe Normal. Oh, God, yeah. Because everybody that takes the time to listen to a specialty podcast is like us everybody listening you're you're in our microcosm you're you're with us we we got you you're you're on the parallel with us (laughs) small little island that we inhabit exactly and that island could be pretty big it could be you know um a, a little bit larger um but uh when this impending decline happens if it happens it's just going to be from the normal people. And so basically it's all those people that are trend jumpers. The people that we really yes. don't care for being in this with us driving the prices up. You know, the little kids jumping in, high school kids getting it because it's cool because they saw the t-shirt at Hot Topic. Like, that kind of shit. <laughs> so from a mathematical point, uh, the people who got into it more recently are more apt to get out of it quicker. Yeah. It's interesting because, like, the length is um, it almost like a pyramid if you look at it from, like, a bar graph perspective. Like, the people who have been in it forever, like me and you, have been in it for life. So we're, like, the bottom pyramid layer. And then the very top of the pyramid are the people who just got into it and are probably going to get out of it real quick. And then it kind of goes mm-hmm. down from there. So, you know, there's a hardcore aspect, and then from there it diminishes all the way up the ladder until you're just, you know, the guy that gets into it for, like, a month. Yeah, I mean, and that happens with pretty much everything. Sure. Oh, it's absolutely reflective. Yeah.
So, so the added complexity, which goes towards across pretty much all platforms, um, is new nostalgia for the system through the creation of new games. So we go to the NES homebrew perspective. Um, so, you know, last year they had that game that we did the homework on Haunted Halloween 85. We had the developers come on. We created a whole nostalgic experience over that game, which now has a sequel with 86 and may have a sequel with 87 in the future and goes on and on and on is that there's all these new games that keep coming out. And as people collect, play them, uh, people like me, like I'm going to put out the first ever comprehensive book to hopefully give it more exposure. So people, you know, know that it's a thing and can put a picture with a name and a text. I mean, all this is going to compound, but it's going to create, it's going to, I think it's going to prolong the life of each system. It's the same way for the Atari that Atari Age and their reproductions and homebrew games have prolonged the life of the Atari for those hardcore collectors. And it's the same thing that NES is doing for us. Because, I mean, in reality, um, while we never got out of Nintendo, we weren't really playing it, like, daily. But then when, for me... I um, got all my games back from when I was overseas. I got all my games back, but Battle Kid Forces Apparel happened. And it was a brand new game, and it clicked with me. You know, that was my, when we were kids, Legend of Zelda, that was the new one, the catalyst that caused me to start playing daily again. And it made it go fucking nuts. Like, But, like, that was a brand new game, and it blew my mind that a new game of that caliber... Because up to that point, NES Homebrew were more single-off, Atari-style, one experience, high-score run, you know, not really a comprehensive NES-style game where it has a beginning and an end, an ending. Because that's another thing that NES had that Nintendo didn't, or that Atari didn't, the 2600, or even a lot of arcade games was a progressive story. Like Zelda, you can start it and you can finish it, and it takes a while. Um, the RPGs happened during the NES, like and you know, started with PC and computers, but NES had that from a console perspective. All of that stuff compounds, but like the um, the Battle Kid was the one that blew my mind because it was this. It was a game that could have been released on the NES during its heyday, and since then. We've had multiple releases, which is crazy. You think about it. Think about it, if you'd never come across that game, never got entwined with the community, yeah. and maybe never even had the inspiration to do like half the shit that we've done. Podcasts might not even exist. I mean, I don't know. Like, it probably would, but like, let's just say it's kind of like it's a wonderful life. How when George Bailey, yeah. like, okay, let's just say we took your resistance away, like your brother would have drowned. You would have never, you know, done this, this, and this, basically. So it's kind of like the impact that everything has, I think, is the um, the ongoing, like, element within this episode. Because, I mean, it, it could be something that, like, my passion to playing the games when I moved back to Indiana, and then we had more nostalgic experiences together, and it could have, you know, pushed you into playing NES more and more, and... It built on, too, because I don't know what your playing style was before I moved back to Indiana from Florida. Well, it's even then, let's go down to, like, a store you stop at, like, all the stores we stopped at. What if we just didn't stop at that store and, <laughs> like, all the shit we got, like, okay, you know, that's a whole nother crazy aspect. So it's almost like you can't blame anybody for anything. Oh, no, definitely not. You're, you're dealt a set of cards and... You know, you can do something to some aspect. You're not, like, completely dealt something and you're powerless, nothing like that. But everyone kind of goes through what they're going to go through, and there's just, like, a set of switches that fall, and it goes in that direction. And it's that's where I think when you reach a certain age, you can't really, like, fault anyone for anything because we're all just kind of here, you know? Well, I mean, and that's the thing is, like, it's not anybody's fault that something happened it's not my fault that somebody else didn't connect with the nes yeah 
I mean, the only way it's my fault is if my Super Nintendo book is just so big that it costs me to strain muscles lifting it. And that's what like, we want. That's <laughs> what we want. <laughs> that's, that's, then that's my, you can blame me on that one. Um, <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good blame. But, <laughs> but, uh, but that's the other aspect. And, and the thing is, is that, like, even going back, like, think about the extras and nostalgia on top of it. So I found Battle Kid, which got me back to playing NES daily. Um, and then it got to the point now where we started doing the podcast, the book thing started, but I was writing since, you know, college. So it's been like over 17 years, maybe almost 20 years that I've been writing reviews started with the Hagen's Horror Haven back in the day. So it's just that stuff was always there. I just didn't know how to hone it into something that I could produce. You know, that's why the, the Hidden Gaming Gems is a different formatted book than the complete NES, and that each subsequent release is going to be evolving. But it's like where it started, but then the NES Catalyst, the podcast combined with it, where I have all have that nostalgia, and, and we're rekindling and trying to, you were trying to collect your entire you know, the, the card only finished up the card only collection. I was getting boxes and manuals and getting doubles and it all kind of fell in place to where like I needed an NES book with, with cover colors. And, you know, I also on the same time, everything else going on in life, I had Walter day give me that card where I met the artist that did the artwork. Like everything fell in line perfectly. It's that's like the stars literally aligning. Well, think about even with Kevin, when we went over to his house, then we decided to go to Langles, and then that's when we decided to do the podcast. So, like, yeah, if we had never met him, it would never have been that way. And we met him you know I mean? because he bought a PVM off me, See? and a PV, and I got the PVMs because I got multiple from my buddy Aaron Miller in indianapolis who i happened to meet from john white on nintendo age yes. and i joined nintendo age because of battle kid let's go full circle john white. <laughs> and that's exactly my point isn't that fucking crazy so i like zone baby <laughs> that's fucking psychotic how like minuscule everything is but how huge everything counts in large months and John White created an NES homebrew that's a full NES experience called Assimilate. <laughs> like, like that, it's just... Isn't that nuts? It's insane how everything's so intertwined. And everything has its own finite reality on top of it. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Like, we all fell into it. And, and that's why, like, the, like, for us, there's not going to be a decline of the NES, because we're creating new nostalgia every time we record an episode. We're creating like when I come out in April when we go out to the um go out to Midwest Gaming Classic this year again. And by the way, VGBS podcast does have a panel confirmed. Yes indeed. I got I got an email back from, from Dan Dan, the main man and Stan. <laughs> we'll we'll figure out something cool to, to cover. Um we might just cover this. <laughs> go and do it with with people because i want to hear other people's perspectives that's the cool thing about the panels and the thing is is that like in the short time that everything has exploded which happened within six months of us starting vgbs is when i launched the kickstarter campaign for the book that i was working on way before we started vgbs but we started it all around i started writing the nes book all around the same time we met kevin yeah and we decided to start doing the the podcast, which was a little bit later, but um, but like that all started around the same time. The books, VGBS, everything. That's why it was. It's one of those things where uh, where we were talking, we're like, we just need to talk about everything hand in hand because it all feeds off each other and it's all fun. And you know, I can do panels because, and you could do panels because of our knowledge and our talking on the bullshit cast. Like it's it's fun as shit and. It all works and comes full circle, and it's our nostalgia, you know? Yeah, I mean, the panel stuff's just good therapy for me, too, just because I'm, like, not the most, like, outgoing person, but it's good for me just to, like, do that kind of thing and to know that I can do that kind of thing. And that's kind of with my job, too, with giving all the, you know, the training and stuff. It's just, it's good for me to get entwined with people. I mean, it's like... 
I don't really want to from the outset, but then once I meet all the people and see how cool everyone is, it's like, yeah, I'm really glad I did this. So there's that aspect of like once you get into the pool, you know, you get used to the water kind of thing. Plus, usually you're really liquored up. That does help. That always helps. <laughs> <laughs> A little sauced up. I want I want people to go back and listen to the uh, the Philo uh, live episode. Kyle was very sauced up on that one. Oh yeah, man, that was awesome. <laughs> it was classic. Yeah, huge <laughs> rum and coke. Oh my god, the second one was massive. And then afterwards is a whole another story, you know. Um, I, I actually want to go there next year. Hopefully, they'll invite us back. Um, if I don't think that they're going to be able to exist <laughs> this, this year. Yeah, they didn't do too well. Yeah. I think that he lost a lot of money. And um, if I was running a business, I wouldn't run that again next year. Or if I did, I would actually promote it. Because when people like me are reaching out, because last year I was proactively trying to attend conventions and seeing who would have me out and nobody was getting back to me like from that convention like nobody got back to me and i saw some of the people that ran it um at another convention and they're like what you you, you reached out to us i'm like yeah <laughs> like they just and and they weren't the ones getting the email so they they would have been the ones to respond it there was a huge break in chain and so unless they fix their processes I think he said he's going to move it into the Pinball Expo this year, which is an industry convention. It would be like somebody having horror movies at E3. <laughs> it wouldn't make sense. Like the biggest gaming convention, a little corner with some horror movies. And it'd be like having video games at a pinball. It'd be like, buh? <laughs> that level of one. Yeah, it would be lost in the sauce. So, um, I, I just want to go there just to hang out with Philo and Charles. So hopefully they're going to be at Replay FX this year. <laughs> Try to get them in Midwest Gaming. They might. I, I bet if I ask Dan. Dude, that'd be fucking awesome, man. We should ask him, dude. I bet if I ask Dan, like, hey, you want to get the, uh, the artist from Dragon's Lair? <laughs> get him sauced up again. Classics. Sauced up. Sauced up. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just one of those things, though, that we've met so many cool people. It's it's that nostalgia thing, is, and it's all due to retro gaming. So so the last point that I had in here, because we were talking about the bubble bursting talk. Now, is the NES... We've said how the NES is different from older stuff. What about future Nintendo systems? Systems that came after the NES. Will the Super Nintendo hold that same fate? Will it stick around like NES? Or will it fall off and we go back to NES? And this could be for us, too, being in that microcosm. The Super Nintendo is amazing. But is it the same as the NES? And the scary thought is I think each system is getting increasingly less interesting. <laughs> Do you feel it too, then? Mm -hmm. Well, I feel it especially starting with, well, especially the N64 PlayStation era. To me, they really haven't held up well over time. Now, Mario Galaxy, which would be the Nintendo Wii a couple generations later, even really Mario Sunshine, even though it had that stupid water gimmick. But those graphics are, are nice. PS2, for example, the graphics are nice. But PS3, well, PS3 is fucking amazing. Like looking at freaking GTA 5 on the PS3. It's on PS4 too, but PS3 is like ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> for for the PlayStations, I feel like the PS3 is gonna feel like Nintendo NESs for me, or maybe maybe PS3 is more like the um, Super Nintendo because it's the refinement of the graphics from the PS2. The PS1 is like the Atari. <laughs> it's it's like, but you still have full stories, you still have full amazing music on the PS1, and there are some standout games. There are diamonds in the rough. Um, so I mean, we'll have some people angrily, you know, pushing their glasses up and going, well. <laughs> Here's the thing: we got side scrollers, and we got RPGs. The one thing that N64 didn't have, yep, which we had mentioned in our Doom Mania episode. The the thing that's fucking crazy is N64. Like, it doesn't really have much. I mean, there's a few like even GoldenEye, the classics. They don't really hold up well anymore. There's Mario 64 clones and GoldenEye, the GoldenEye clones, and, and then Mar and then like wrestling games. <laughs> and the thing is, though, is Mario 64 holds up really well. 
It really does. That's why there's so many clones. But that's like the only one, like all the other ones, even Zelda Ocarina of Time doesn't hold up well graphically. It's just... So you mean just graphically, not like fun factor-wise? Fun factor, it still holds up. That's the thing. Even even uh, Doom 64, how dark it is, it, it holds up f- fun factor, though. The game's fucking fun. Well, if you have a right TV, too, I've, I've seen it on the right TV, mm-hmm. so it's also a TV setting. But it should never be that dark anyway, but it is, whatever. But that's the thing is, I think, like, moving to future Nintendo systems, I feel like the um, the Super Nintendo may stick around longer. But the other aspect is, it doesn't mean that the impending decline of the NES is everybody's going to get rid of every NES game. The bubble burst, everybody's not going to get rid of every NES game. Bubble Bobble 2, Bonk's Adventure, Panic Restaurant aren't going to come down in price. They're going to stay. But mm-hmm. the silent services, the all the dime a dozen games that people were getting the just to get a complete collection or uh-huh. working toward one that they never finished, which would be the key. Because if you finished it, you're, you're probably going to keep it all because you have that finite completion. However, the people that got 600 games and they're still 100 away, 168 away, um, you know, those type of people are going to get rid of all their, you know, double dribbles and uh, games that, and, and of course, if that was their gold medal game, then got it. But the ones that aren't their gold medal game, but they're going to get rid of them, because number one, they take up a lot of space, and number two, they didn't yeah. hit them with that that finite nostalgia niche. Um, if it connects with them, then they're going to hold on to it. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with me, like, refining down like what I display in my game room and all the rest of my collection is in totes. Like I'm displaying certain aspects, but that's based on my own personal nostalgia. Just like everybody. Yeah. It's just like everybody. So that's the other aspect is, is that if it's a bubble, it's going to be a microcosm bubble and certain. And, and so the, the thrift store owner, he was talking to me about, like, well, Contra's going to go back down in price. And I'm like, well, Contra's like $20. It used to be a 5 to $10 game back in the day. It was still was expensive. Even when Nintendo was cheap, it was still a $5 game. So I think that the quality of certain games, like anything that's like a hidden gem radar game that's been highlighted by reviewers is going to stick around because everybody that watched that reviewer is going to have a nostalgia for that. It's the same reason why everybody bought the games that the angry video game nerd was talking about. <laughs> like it's, it's because they got a nostalgia through watching it with him. Well, absolutely. Then you have that whole part. Then it, it goes crazy with that. So then you can, that's how you can build your nostalgia. It's like a Lego set. <laughs> yeah. And you go to the whole, you know, rewind, rewind, Mike, YouTube. Fuck yeah. Community, like rewind Mike. all the awesome ass reviewers putting out amazing reviews and videos and they're all doing stuff a little bit differently and pulling in viewers that are all getting a nostalgia for it so the thing is is that it's going to be interesting i think it's going to be something that is unprecedented and different i don't i don't think that he's the the thrift store owner's wrong from a business perspective i think he's right to keep carrying all antiquities too however um, I don't think that it's going to follow suit. Like, it's not going to be a standard thing where, okay, it's uh, 30 years later, it's in 24, we got to get rid of our Nintendo style. That's it. That's, that's the time. <laughs> that's it. That's when we do it. Fucking done. Out the window <laughs> they go. We're done. <laughs> Fucking get out the sledgehammers, Triple H. <laughs> it's all about that game. I am playing. <laughs> <laughs> Let me, yeah, woo. That's right. Yeah, that that's exactly how it's gonna be, right? Yeah, no. That's the thing, though. It's it's not gonna work like that. But again, we're the microcosm. I I still think that you're still gonna have those people that are gonna hold on to their their favorite games because I mean, it doesn't take up that much space, and there's a cool factor about that medium with the cartridges. Fuck yeah, forever. Because that's why I that's the other thing I asked. 
because you got to think about it when you're moving toward non-Nintendo systems, but like future ones, you have the collectability of the cartridge, which has a toy aspect to it versus a disc, a CD. Like it's not, it's not as cool. It's still, you know, awesome to have the artwork. You still get that art aspect. You still get all of that. But the medium itself for the NES, the Super Nintendo, even the 64, is a cartridge. There's a certain retro aspect. Like, for instance, I uh, one of my carts the other day, I got like a little G.I. Joe dude for like, I don't know, three bucks from China, free shipping and shit. But I, I propped him up on the cartridge because it just, it works. Like, it's fucking just the G.I. Joe, the NES cart, you know, the Masters of the Universe figures. It just all works. The Battle Beasts and the Monster in My Pockets and Transformers, and it just all conglomerates into fucking amazingness, man. <laughs> that is that era of nostalgia, too, though. Like, yeah. Everything screams our childhood era. Yes. Screams. The, the The argument from that one guy's perspective is that I feel like he was he's younger than me, but he was talking like he was my father. Like, you're going to grow out of that. I hate that shit. Like, yeah, demeaning, it, like, I'm smarter than you. <laughs> it's like one of those things, but I'm like, like no. I, I mean, I, I understand his perspective. And, and from a seller making a profit, like, he probably wants that to uh, that bubble to burst because then he can start selling more. Um, cause for a while the market's going to flood and business is going to be booming, but then the prices are going to come down if that happens because it's going to flood the market with so many that they can't move and he has to lower the price to sell them. And that's the craziness is that if everybody's a collector and doesn't sell their stuff, guess what? The prices go up and nothing's for sale. And also the whole, you're gonna. Think about how narrow-minded his perspective is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's the same thing with, you know, the quote earlier is, NES nostalgia is just about hit its end. For maybe one person. Yeah, maybe for him. Yeah. But I, I think that this NES classic has just hit it hard, because it's still not even available at stores. It's been months, like, still not even available. It's, like, insane how long that's taking. And we got to throw that in with the... Uh, our uh, cousin Deborah, she paid two hundred and fifty bucks. She couldn't find it in, you know, the wild, as we say. So she paid two hundred and fifty bucks online to buy it for her husband. Yeah, you know, he's in his fifties, at least. I don't know. I don't inquire, but at least, and uh, she paid two hundred and fifty bucks just for the, just so he could play, you know, some old school Mario. You know, but what's what I think is funny too is his he can't get a game in because. All the kids in the house are playing it and hogging it. That's right. So it's funny that they're not playing the new system that they got. They're playing the old shit. That's, there's just a charm to that, too. Oh, yeah. Well, the the interesting aspect about the NES Classic now, and I actually want one now, is because it's been hacked. I knew that was coming. Oh, yeah. And you can put about 90 games on it, all with box art and four save state slots. That's Jeff style right there. My thoughts are, and I don't want it to play. Um, I don't want it to give to London. What I want to do, since you can put your own games on it, thinking about it from my perspective, I go to all these conventions with my books, and Black Box Challenge gets released. I knew you were going to say it. Yes, perfect. I could bring an NES Classic that's tiny, throw it in my backpack, have 90 NES homebrew games on it, and show off everybody's homebrew games and their work. So instead of carrying around, you know, 90 NES carts with me to show off all their games yeah. or expensive tech, because I have the ABS and the flash cart, but do I really want to carry around $400 worth of equipment? Because I have the limited edition ABS, which is expensive as shit. Um, but like, do I want to carry around all that and then worry about it when I leave it at the table? Or do I want to have the $60 NES mini and just let people play it? Um, there's my one buddy from Retro Fighters, which he actually had some ads in 90 and 91 for his new controller. He's doing a, um, Nintendo Classic to NES controller port. So that way it just does a zero lag conversion. So you can just plug in your normal NES controllers into it instead of using their proprietary crap with short cords. I can use real Nintendo controllers. 
So, done. And I'll be able to show off all the box art for everybody's homebrews. Everything. It'll be perfect. That's the classic. But that's why I want one now. But that's going to be a di- I, I want it for different reasons than other people want. And to, just to, to sum it up, so I would say nostalgia and passion go hand in hand. So Absolutely. Everyone who's into anything has passion. It's just maybe 1% compared to 99%. And, of course, we looked at this whole impending decline of the NES from a holistic perspective. We looked at the Devil's Advocate spot. We realized that Joe Normal is likely going to get out of the NES. The question is, will it be a mass exodus? Um, That we don't know. It could happen. Is it going to cause a collapse of the retro gaming market and cause a giant bubble to pop? Probably not. Um, will it cause the prices to maybe level out a little for those non-rare, non-good quality games? Hopefully. Because I would like other people to be able to experience NES games and not get deterred by the ridiculous prices. Yes, thank you. Heavy emphasis on the turd and deterred. <laughs> yes, turd. <laughs> Each person has a different appetite, and uh, I just want the Retro Maniacs Cereal bowl to be completely full of fucking Cocoa Puffs and NES cartridges. Cocoa Puffs and carts. <laughs> and Lucky Charms and Marshmallow. That's right. We'll be all set, man. <laughs> <laughs> we are the microcosm, but everybody listening is the microcosm. Everybody that's supporting my books are the microcosm. You're not different from us. We're, we're talking... As peers to everybody that listens to our podcast. That's just how we are. Fuck yeah. It's gospel right there. We're not sitting above in some fucking giant throne. This is We're just normal people. And that's why when we do the panels, we do anything. We're incorporating everybody else because your stories are just as important as ours. It really is. Yeah, fuck the throne. We're going to overthrow that throne. We're going to throw the biggest fucking party Kingdom's ever seen. Woo! I mean, our mentality might not make us a millionaire, but we'll be able to sleep well at night, and we're going to have fun doing it. Fuck money, man. It's all about passion and love and having that good time. When you're dead, all that money is fucking nothing. As long as you can take care of yourself in this time and take care of your family, that's all that matters. Other than that, it's all about having a great time. And and the best part is we're the same as everybody else. Everybody else can have it made, too. just got to live it up and love it and don't be anybody but you. Thank you for listening to VGBS. We appreciate everybody taking the time to get through this whole uh, arduous podcast. We love it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you want to correspond with us, you can email us at vgbspodcast at gmail.com. We also have a phone number. It is 262264VGBS. You can leave us a voicemail, shoot us a text message. Um, whatever you want to do, correspond. Also, comment on us. Shoot us a message on Facebook, Twitter, Google+. We love hearing what people um, think about the podcast. All right, see you later. Woo! Later!